Hey, 11 o'clock, how we doing? We good? It's nice and cool inside here. Not so much outside, but we're glad you guys are here today. My name is Steve, one of the pastors here at Coastal. And um, today, we're actually going to be kicking off um, a, a new series for the summer uh, that we're calling Wisdom. You can say that a couple different ways, as you saw there on, uh, on the intro video. You know, we're going to be looking through the book of Proverbs. And Proverbs is known as the book of wisdom. And most of Proverbs was written by King Solomon, who's, who's referred to as the wisest man who ever lived. And what we're going to be doing over the next several weeks is pulling out small sections of the book of Proverbs and really talking and looking at what is it that helps us to live wisely versus the other end of the spectrum, which would be the dumb stuff. And I don't know about you, but I like to avoid the dumb things. So that's what we're going to be looking at um, over the next uh, several weeks. Today, we're going to be looking in Proverbs chapter 3. If you guys want to go ahead and turn to Proverbs chapter 3 in your Bibles, if you brought them. If not, it's on the top of that insert that's in your worship guide. And while you're doing that, I have a question for you. How many of you guys like eating at a buffet? Yeah, we got some buffet fans in here? Good. Um, now, I'm not talking about, some of you didn't raise your hand. I'm not talking about the $7.99 feeding trough at the Golden Corral right? I'm talking about one of those buffets that, that as you walk in, you go, oh my goodness, everything here looks delicious. That kind of buffet, right? Okay, so some of you that were on the fence, you're like, no, 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 yeah, I can. Golden Corral, no thanks. The other one, I can do that. Um, so I know when, when TJ is here, we talk an awful lot about CrossFit. Today, we're talking about all-you-can-eat buffets, okay? So, so some of you guys are going to like that. Um, you know, growing up in Ohio, uh, my dad actually had a membership. Um, he belonged to the Muirfield Country Club. And if you follow the PGA at all, if you're a golf fan, Muirfield is where the, the PGA plays every year they play the Memorial Tournament. So you can imagine that, that this, is, this is a beautiful golf club. It's a beautiful country club. And on special days, certain, certain special occasions, like, like Father's Day, Mother's Day, Easter, um, they would have a special buffet that they didn't normally have, but they would have this buffet. And I remember um, growing up, I remember my parents always asking weeks in advance, hey, are, are, are you, as your brother, or, you know, even when I got married, they would be calling saying, so Steve, are you and Katie going to be able to be at the, at the Mother's Day brunch? Because you had to sign up and get reservations weeks in advance in order to get a table. It was that good. Now, this was one of those buffets that had all kinds of food, like just food coming out of everywhere. So when you walk in, you'd see like a table full of these artisan baked goods like, like scones and muffins and breads and all these kind of snooty sounding jams and compound butters, and you're like, oh man, that looks good. And then over here, there's another table, and they've got like cheeses and the like snobby looking crackers. Like I don't even know where you buy crackers that look like this. They're not in the normal grocery store, but like all these crazy cheeses you can't pronounce. There's another table with salads that even people who don't like salads would like these salads. And so as a, as a teenager you know, when I didn't really have to worry about the negative consequences of all-you-can-eat buffets, I used to love this. Like, I would walk in, and I'd be like, how am I going to attack this buffet today? And then you realize it's a brunch buffet, which means there's a whole section that's breakfast and a whole section that's lunch. It's the best of both worlds, right? You're like, man, I can't go wrong here. So I would always start like with the table of baked goods, and, and I'd get a bunch of that stuff. And then I would start on the breakfast. 
And the breakfast was like, man, not just bacon and sausage, but like multiple different kinds of bacon and different kinds of sausage. And, and they got, you know, uh, all kinds of potatoes and breakfast items. They got the, the freshly made Belgian waffles with the like whipped cream and strawberries sitting right there. My favorite was the egg stuff. I'm an egg guy. So like they had eggs of all kinds, but the best was the, the custom omelet bar where the chef in that tall, like, white hat, I don't know why they wear tall white hats, but the chef would stand there, and he's just waiting for you to tell him exactly how you wanted your omelet. He'd make you the omelet ready to go. So after a couple plates of breakfast, and before I moved on to lunch, then I would have to kind of, like, you know, you have to kind of break from breakfast and start to lunch. So I'd go to that cheese thing again and get all the cheeses that you can't even pronounce, stuff that, like, I mean, like, my mom bought cheese, but it was normal cheese, right? It was like Swiss cheese, cheddar cheese, whatever. There's like crazy cheeses. So I'd eat that stuff. And then I would go for the lunch. And the lunch was the same as the breakfast. Stuff ever, I mean, chicken dishes, pork dishes, um, beef dishes, pasta dishes, um, all kinds of different potatoes and casseroles, seafood. I mean, stuff everywhere. Even the vegetables that they had there, like, they weren't good for you anymore because of the way they cooked them. Like, they put all kind of bad stuff in the vegetables. So, like, I, I loved all that stuff. But my favorite was the section that uh, was referred to like as the carving area. So there's the dude standing there with the fork and the knife, and he's ready to carve you off a slice of that fresh roast beast. Yeah? I, I, that's my thing right there. It's, and, and there's an unspoken language at the carving station. You go up and you, you hold your plate there, and so the guy slices off this beautiful, juicy piece of beef and puts it on your plate. And if you leave your plate there, you just hold it there, then he knows that means you would like some more. And whenever you've had enough, then there was sort of this almost imperceptible nod that you could give the guy like, and he knew that you were done. Now, I, I normally didn't offer the nod until the line of people behind me kind of became awkwardly long and uncomfortable. And then I'd feel like, oh, well, I, I should probably give someone else a chance. And so, so I'd nod and we'd move on. Now, after eating a couple plates of lunch, you all know what time it was then, right? It was dessert time, right? Some of you in this room that didn't raise your hand when we talked buffet, now when you think about the dessert part of the buffet, you're like, oh, well, yeah, well, maybe, maybe I could do the dessert part. I'm not going to get into the dessert part because we actually have a message that has some important stuff um, to talk about. But the, the cool thing about the buffet, the best part about this buffet is that you can pick what you want. You know, if there's if there's something on that buffet line that you don't like, you just skip it. Leave it there. You, know, you can mosey up and down the buffet. You can take as long as you want looking at everything and make your selections. But any of the items that you don't like, you can just leave it right where it is. You can take only the items that make you feel good, only the items that make you say, mm, yes, that was a good lunch. Now, that may work fine when we're talking about a brunch buffet but it doesn't work in our faith. When we're seeking after uh, striving and following, trying to be like Christ, this whole buffet mentality doesn't work. And today we're going to look at what Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 have to say about this. And we're going to start in verse 5, and it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. What we're going to do this morning is that we're going to move through this, this pretty short section of, of Proverbs, and we're going to pull some really important stuff out of here to find the wisdom that's contained in these two verses. The first thing that we see 
in these two verses that's going to teach us something really wise. The first thing we see about wisdom is that wisdom is trusting God. Wisdom is trusting God. See, unlike in the buffet line, where, where you, know, you can pick and you can choose whatever it is that you want, Proverbs tells us right here, it teaches us that when it comes to our faith, there's only one that we can trust, only one. We're told, trust in the Lord with all your heart. You know, we were created to be trusting beings. I've been thinking about this word trust as I've been preparing this. We're, we're very trusting beings. That's part of the way we're created. We all trust in someone or something. And some of you guys that say, no, I don't, I don't trust anybody. You're, you're trusting in yourself then if you don't trust anything. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll place our trust in our jobs and in our professions. You know, some of us that are married, we place our trust in our spouses. We, we'll, we'll place our trust in, in astrology. Like, we like to go read our horoscope and see, well, hell, will, this, will this help me understand why I am the way I am? We place our, our trust in our bank account right? Like as, as long as we can financially take care of ourselves, as long as I can afford to take care of myself, then I'll, be, then I'll be fine. We trust in our physical health, our strength and, and, and our health. We, during a year like this, during an election year, a lot of people trust in politics, right? We think, you know, if, as long as the candidate that I want to win wins, well, then everything will be okay. And all the things that aren't okay now, well, they'll fix those. If we're on the spectrum of, of wise and dumb, where is it that we're placing our trust in politics? Are we wise or dumb? You know, we'll trust in the culture because we're surrounded by our culture. So a lot of times we start looking around and we start think, thinking, well, you know, I see the way that they're living. I, I see the decisions they're making. I see what they're doing. I, I see the ways that they're behaving. And it seems to work completely fine for them. So, so it's going to work fine for me too. But Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5, it tells us that we can't pick and choose the things that we place our trust in. Now, I want to point out a really small word that we can read over really easily. It's that word all. Little three-letter word, all. It's in verse 5. And if we're really to place all of our trust in the Lord, then it leaves no room on our plate to pick anything else from the buffet. You know, I spent a good portion of my life being, uh, I would say, a bit of a people pleaser. On the, on the, on the spectrum, I, was, I definitely leaned toward being a people pleaser. You know, when I had to make decisions, I would oftentimes really, I would consider, well, well what, what are they going to think? How is this going to make them feel? Who's they? Well, we always say, who, I wonder what they're going to think. Who is they? That's what, I would make a lot of decisions based on them. You can ask my wife, Katie, about this. This used to drive her nuts. Like, we'd be having a conversation um, that turned into a disagreement about something, or you know, I was saying it should be this way or that way, and, and she would oftentimes ask me, like, why? And I'd say, well, because, I mean, you could go ask anybody. You disagree with me, but go ask anybody. They'll say that this is how you do it. A lot of times, if they were doing something around the house, I would be trying to say, no, you, you have to do it this way. There's the, there's the right process or the right procedure to get this done. And she'd say, why do I have to do it your way? And I would respond, well, because that's how everybody does it. You know, I put a lot of, of my, my decision-making power in what I thought other people would think or say or do. Now, you know, it's, it's one thing to have that approach just in kind of the normal everyday, taking care of things around the house kind of thing, but it was beginning to seep into the way that I made all of my major life decisions. You know, what I realized was that I was placing my trust in, in what other people were thinking. I was placing my trust in something other than God. I was placing my trust in something other than him and what his word tells me to do. 
Now, I'm not perfect, but thankfully, I've begun, you know, over the years, I've begun to, to change the way that I make decisions so that now when I'm making decisions, I'm, I'm thinking more about asking myself these questions. What, is, what does the Bible say about this? You know, how, how do I think God would want me to respond here? What, what is it that, that he is going to think if I do this or if I don't do this? So what does it mean when we talk about this idea of, of trusting God with all of our hearts? Uh, I, I started looking up this, this idea of trust this week. And in Hebrew, the word that, that's, that's translated from the Hebrew language into our English word is trust. That word that we see is trust. It means to be helpless or face down. And I had to think about that for a second. Face down, when you think about like face down in front of somebody, that's, a, that's not a comfortable position for us, is it? We don't, we don't like to put ourselves in that uncomfortable, very, very vulnerable place. And so I, I asked, like, what, what does that really look like in today's day and age? Like, we don't bow face down to kings and stuff like, like some people used to. So what does that look like for us? And what, what I think it looks like is that it's us putting ourselves in a position where we can say to, to somebody, you know what, you can do anything you want to me, and I will not oppose you. Now, I don't think, as much as I like all of you guys, I don't think I would trust any of you. I don't think I would trust any of you enough to say, look, you can do anything you want to me, and I will not oppose you. There's a lot of room for abuse there, isn't there? I started thinking, is there anybody that I would trust? Because I don't think I'll trust any of you. So is there anybody? I thought, I thought about my immediate family, right? My wife and my son. Love them to death. But if you know anything about the Cheryl family... You know that, that we're a little bit on the goofy side. Um, you know, we, we kind of like to scare each other. We like just like for no reason, just scream when someone comes around the corner from a room. And um, we like to prank each other a lot. You know, a couple weeks ago, if, if you follow my wife on Facebook or anything, she had a video on there of my son getting into a bathtub uh, filled with water and 40 pounds of ice. He lost a bet, right? He made a bet, he lost. That's kind of how my family is. You know, uh, this past week was my birthday, and uh, I was minding my business reading some birthday cards. My wife gave me the stack of cards, and she's like, hey, read them. And I'm reading one of those annoyingly long ones with, like, the really long poem in it that takes you forever to get through. And I'm not paying any attention. I'm just reading the card. And Evan and Katie, my wife and my son, they both attacked me with multiple bottles of Silly String. Like, this is kind of how we roll. Um, Father's Day was last Sunday. And uh, how many of you guys as parents, did you ever receive these as gifts? handmade gift certificates where your kids will do something for you. So I did that as a kid. My son gave me this one. This is, this is what this gift certificate says. Dad, you get to prank your son with no paybacks. So like, I get to prank him. He gave me that as a gift, right? So Cheryl family, uh-uh, not trusting them, right? I can't think of anybody that I would trust to say, I I'm literally going to be so vulnerable in front of you now that you can do anything you want and I'll have no opposition. But see, the Bible tells us something very different about God. The Bible tells us that, that God is the one that we can trust with that kind of an attitude and that kind of a heart. Psalm 86.5 describes him and says, You, Lord, are forgiving and good, abounding in love to all who call you, call to you. And that's, that's something I can trust. Now that we understand what, what trust means, I want to look at this idea from verse 5 that, that we have to trust the Lord with all of our heart. So, if we're commanded to trust God with, with all of our heart, 
and to obey him in all of our ways, that's a, that's a pretty big commitment. And the word heart in the Hebrew language, it can refer to like our emotions. You know the way that we refer to our heart, like, oh, we're, we're sad, we're, we're angry, oh, you know, that pains my heart, or we kind of think of heart as an emotional thing, and that's, that's okay. In, in Hebrew, it could have meant that. It more often meant the, the mind, the intellect, the will. And so what God is saying is that, that we're to cast upon the Lord our total trust, which means that we don't hold back in any area of our mind, our will, and our emotions. So remember that it's, it's trusting with all of your heart. And when we don't trust with all of our heart, when there's any part of us that's not trusting, we're divided in our trust. And in James chapter 1, verse 8, it says, the double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. As soon as we start placing our trust in something else off of that buffet line of spirituality, Scripture tells us that, that we've created unstable footing for ourselves. So, so we can't separate our trust. We can't share our trust between God and something or someone else. We don't have the option to go to the buffet in this area. So if wisdom, if we see in the first part of verse 5 that wisdom is trusting God, the second part of verse 5 is going to teach us that wisdom is not fully trusting ourselves. It's wise to not fully trust ourselves. The second half of verse 5 says, and lean not on your own understanding." So this one is weird for us. If we're being honest, like here in America, we live in a place where we're always trying to understand things. We're just told, lean not on your own understanding. We're always trying to understand things. We're trying to learn and figure things out. I mean, we do some important things, right? We're trying to figure out cancer, cure cancer. We spend trillions of dollars in this country to, to cure diseases, to, to discover things that, about our environment so that we can make the right choices. We're trying to figure out the universe that we exist in and satellites and, and, and all kinds of stuff. We're trying to explain and learn and understand things. And there's nothing wrong with, with education. There's nothing wrong with us striving to understand as much as we can about what God has done as part of creation. But what this is saying to us is that we can't lean on our own understanding because our understanding is limited. We might not like to think that of ourselves, but, but our understanding is limited. And so the warning is here because if we lean on our own understanding, then we're going to miss God's will. And that, the way that this word lean is used, it actually means like to lean with all of your weight, like to lean against something, to, to put your weight on it so that it supports you. Now, when we do that, when we rest on something and you lean and you put all of your weight on something, we're giving something other than God an awful lot of power. And see, God wants us to only lean on him, to put all of our weight, to lean and put all of our trust on him and him alone. And when we do that, it opens up his ability, not just to, to give us natural, but supernatural guidance. It's not just so that we can understand things, but he will, in a supernatural way, lead and guide and direct us. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't use our brains at all, right? This passage is not saying, hey, turn off your brain. But, but it's saying that God doesn't want us to only rely or depend on our natural way of thinking. I mean, let's be real. David never would have fought Goliath if he was using natural reasoning, right? Tiny little dude, no armor, no military training versus giant battle-hardened warrior. You know, Noah never would have built an ark in the middle of a desert if he was using only his reasoning, especially when everybody he knew started coming and making fun of him and telling him he was an idiot. Moses, he never would have gone and challenged Pharaoh 
Pharaoh had the, the, the authority. He was seen as a god. He could have just said, kill him, and he would have had men scrambling to go kill Moses. Moses never would have challenged Pharaoh if he was using his man-made reasoning. You know, we look at the disciples of Christ. After Christ's death, they preached the gospel under the threat of their own death. All but one of his disciples died because they wouldn't shut up about Jesus and what he'd done. We don't do those things when we're, we're leaning only on our natural reasoning. Let me try and explain it this way. I've, I've always had an interest in flying. One of the items on my bucket list is that I would like to get my pilot's license one day so that I can just go fly around. Like, I don't want to go anywhere specific. I just want to be up in the air flying around. And as you get to know some things about flying, uh, one of the things that's, that's dangerous about flying that pilots have to become aware of is that any time that they're flying in, like, clouds at night in storms, they can become very disoriented. It's called vertigo. And often this, this condition of vertigo happens when pilots are flying at night in the clouds in a storm. And what happens is that, that they start to experience confusion where their senses are sending misleading signals to their brain. So their senses start to get scrambled, and, and vertigo think, makes the pilot think that, that north is south, and, and up is down, and down is up, and left is right, and right is left. They don't know which way they're going. And so while they may think that they're, they're, they're pulling up a little bit, what they don't realize is that they're going down, and people crash right into the ground or into the ocean. Or you can pull up too much because you think you're supposed to be doing that, and you can stall. And so what, what pilots need to do is is that they've, they've got to make sure that in this situation, when, when vertigo starts to set in, they have to trust the instrument panel. We're not asking pilots to turn off their brains, right? We want a pilot to use as much of their brain as possible while they're learning to fly. We want them to, to use their brain and actually avoid flying in horrible conditions that might lead to vertigo. And we want them to understand everything about the plane and about the instruments and how they work. But more than just that, the most important thing that we want is for them in that situation to trust completely on the instrument panel. You know, if we're not careful in our walk with the Lord, we can be, we can be very susceptible, very vulnerable to what I'm going to call spiritual vertigo. You know, sometimes we're surrounded by stuff where life just throws one thing after another at us. One day we're fine, and the next day everything seems to be spinning out of control. Right? We lose an account at work. We've got a troubled marriage. We have teenagers that are getting in trouble. We've got uh, a serious illness that we're all of a sudden we're dealing with. And all of these things coming upon us, they, they start to make us feel like we don't know which way is up and which way is down. We don't know where to turn. We feel like we're not standing on solid ground anymore. And so when we get to that spot, we, we begin to make all kinds of poor decisions, and, and we see lives then that begin to spin out of control. What we need to be is we need to be more like the experienced pilot. Who, who knows that there's a possibility of confusion, and when that starts setting in, trusts completely on the instruments. And so for us, we need to trust, in order to avoid these situations, we need to trust in the Word of God. We need to trust that God's plan is better for us. We need to never take lightly, never take lightly this temptation that's around us to ignore the spiritual truths. So we want to use our brains, right, and be familiar with, with the Bible, with what it says, with biblical principles. We, we want to be, you know, above everything else, we want to trust in the Word of God. But as much as we want to know with our brains and be able to reason, well, I know the Bible says this, we also just need to trust that it will guide us to a safe spiritual landing. 
You know, we need to avoid this spiritual vertigo by being grounded in the Word of God on a daily basis. It's the same way that a pilot practices and becomes proficient. That's the way we practice and become proficient, is to stay in the Word of God on a daily basis. And when we do that, then we open up the door for God's Spirit to come and renew our minds. We, we open up the door for Him to enable us to understand what His will is for our lives. You know, God in Isaiah, or in, in Isaiah 58, 8, and 9, it reminds us this, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. He clearly says, look, you're not going to be thinking the same things that I'm thinking if you're just relying on your natural reasoning. So allow yourself to be led by me. Allow yourself to seek after me. Trust the instrument panel. Trust my word and trust my promises. You know, when we have an important decision to make, some of, us, some of us don't feel like we can trust anybody. We don't feel like we can trust anyone around us. We don't feel like we can trust ourselves. We don't even feel like we can trust God. So what do we do? We, we try. We work harder, right? We, if I just plug away, if I put my nose to the grindstone, it'll work out. Maybe we do ask other people, man, I, I, don't, I don't know what to do here. I don't, know, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. So what do you think? I can't tell you how many times I see people posting things on Facebook, right? Hey, what, what, what do you guys think? Here's the situation in my life. And you just cringe like, I can't believe they just put that on Facebook. Where's that on the scale of wise and dumb, posting on Facebook to ask for advice? You're going to get all the advice you don't want. But God, God knows, on, see, on the other hand, God knows what's best for us. He's a better judge of what we need and of what we should do than anybody else. He's a judge, he, he's a better judge about what we need than even we are. So we need to trust him completely in every choice that we make. Now, again, we don't need to ignore our ability to think and to reason, but we can't trust our own ideas more than we trust God. We always need to be willing and to be corrected, always willing to be corrected by God's word. If we would bring all of our decisions to God in prayer, if we would use the Bible as our guide, and then we would follow God's leading in our life, he promises to, to make our path straight. So, if, if so far we're learning that wisdom is, is trusting in God and wisdom is not fully trusting ourselves, the third thing that, that we see in these short verses that wisdom is, wisdom is total obedience. It's, it's wise to practice total obedience. It says, in all your ways, submit to him. That's the first half of, of, the first half of verse six. In all your ways, submit to him. I want to notice again the repetition of this tiny little word that we read over a lot of times, all. In verse five, it said, all of your heart. Here in verse 6, it says, and all your way. Our trust in him is to extend to all of our ways. Now, the reason that, that we find this idea, this concept of total obedience to God so difficult is because it is. It's really, really hard for us to have just this, this total obedience to a God, when, when some of the things that we know, some of the things that he calls us to that are in his word, you know what, they're, quite frankly, they're hard. But total obedience means obedience even to the hard parts. You know, it's the parts of the Bible that, that may not line up with what we see happening in the culture around us. And we get so confused because we see what's happening over here and everybody's doing this and everybody's saying this and what the word of God says something different. You know, so many times I've had people um, in my office or making a phone call to me or, or in the different churches that I have worked in, and, and they start sharing something with me where they've just made some really crazy, stupid decisions in life. You know, they've lied to or cheated on a spouse. 
You know, they did something at work where they, where they lost their job. People who've, who've gotten involved in, in stealing things and, and, uh, and they find themselves on the wrong side of the law. Or they've damaged and, and, and really, really broken an important relationship to them. And, and as they share, it's so tempting to just kind of sit there and go, man, I, it'd just be so much easier if I could just look at them and say, you know what, like, it's no big deal. You didn't really do anything wrong. Don't worry about it. You feel better now? You kind of want to just be able to say, no, doesn't that make you feel better? You know, I've talked with, uh, with students and adults who, who haven't remained pure in their dating relationships. And it's so tempting in your heart because you care about these people just to say, hey, look, no worries. Like, God doesn't even believe all that outdated stuff in that Bible either. But that's not true. These are the hard parts where, where we can't just give people the pass and we can't give ourselves a pass because it doesn't match up with what we see happening around us in society. Total obedience means even the hard stuff. You know, when I was a, a, a student ministry director, I, I, had, uh, I had a girl in my youth group. She was in junior high, and her name was Ashley. And Ashley had gone through all of the training to be a licensed uh, puppy raiser for seeing eye dogs. And so they would, as soon as a puppy was weaned, they would send it to, uh, to Ashley, and, and she would begin work on the basic obedience skills that the dogs had to, to do before they could go on to, to the, the, the guide dog school, where they really learn all the stuff to be a seeing eye dog for the blind. And her first puppy was Wilbur. Uh, Wilbur would come to youth group with her. He would go to the grocery store with her family. If they went out to eat, he went out to eat. If they went to the movies, he went to the movies. He even came that year with us. We went to a church camp. I took all the kids up to a camp up in the Yosemite Mountains. And he, he would come. He came for the whole week. Like this dog, we would, uh, we'd play dodgeball at the church because we had a, a full-size gymnasium at this church. And so I'd have 50 junior high kids and there's like 30 balls, and they're just going crazy, right? Junior high kids, dodgeball. You can see the picture. And she would tell Wilbur to sit, and he would sit right on the sideline, and he'd watch this whole thing like you're watching a tennis match, right? He just ch- And usually he was following her. Like he would kind of watch where she was running. It was the coolest thing. She could take that dog outside, no joke. Take it outside to a patch of grass, and she could say, Wilbur, go poop. He'd take care of business right then and there. It was all the basic obedience stuff. I was amazed at what she could do with these dogs. And so the cool thing was that as soon as, they were, they were about a year old. She only had them for maybe like eight or nine months. And as soon as they were a year old, they were old enough then to go to the obedience school, uh, to, to learn how to be a seeing eye dog. And so she would come back every now and then, uh, and she'd say, hey, you know what, Wilbur made it. Wilbur graduated from, from guide dog school. He's going to be placed with this new human. And as she had puppies that, that she would raise, and she would always come in and tell us how they did when they passed. And one day she came into youth group, and, and she's like, hey, do you guys remember Nifty? Nifty was one of the dogs that she had. We're like, yeah. And my first thought was, yeah, he, he passed. And she's like, Nifty didn't make it. He didn't pass obedience school uh, for, for being a seeing eye dog, so he's just going to be placed as a pet somewhere. And I was blown away. I'm like, what do you mean Nifty didn't make it? Like, I've seen, I've watched, because he came every week to youth group. I could see that dog. And she's like, well, but when he goes to the, the guide dog school, they do a lot harder stuff even than I was doing. And like, these dogs are, you have to remember, they're walking blind people like down sidewalks and through parking lots and across busy streets. And so being successful nine times out of 10 isn't good enough. These dogs have to demonstrate total obedience. Now, for us, when we think about total obedience, it's, it's even when God's word is difficult, even when it doesn't seem to make sense in what we see going on around us, even when culture seems to be heading in another direction, we are still supposed to trust 
and obey in his word. Even with some of the hardest parts of the Bible, I, I happen to think that some of the hardest parts are things like this. Philippians 1.21 says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. It doesn't seem like, it doesn't resonate with me. In, in our society, in our culture, man, we think death is the end. You know, Mark 9.35 says, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. And that's crazy talk today. John 3.30 says, he, and that means God, he must increase, I must decrease. This goes against almost everything that we see on a daily basis. I mean, who, who's with me on this, right? We don't think about our life this way. These are some difficult verses of the Bible because nearly everything that we see in our culture teaches us that it's about me, 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 right? YOLO, you only live once. I have a friend uh, that actually goes here to Coastal. I won't tell you who she is, but she's got three daughters, so you narrow the field down there. If you say YOLO around any of her three kids, you better look out for her backhand coming at you. Because she's like, no, that is not what I want my girls to grow up with. Right? We, we think about, man, you got to get it while the getting's good. It's all about me. You got to build your reputation. You got to build yourself up. You got to build your bank account. But wisdom, wisdom is total obedience. It's not all about us. It's total obedience even to the things that seem so countercultural to us today. So if just in these two and a half short verses so far, we figured out that wisdom is trusting God and wisdom is not fully trusting yourself and wisdom is, is living in total obedience, then the question is, what's the result? If I practice this wisdom, what's the result? And the result is promised direction. God promises his direction. He says in that last part of verse six, and he will make your paths straight. So when we apply the wisdom of trusting in God and not trusting in ourselves and becoming totally obedient to his word, even when it's hard, he promises that our path will be straight. Now, this promise to make our path straight, it means that God will direct and protect us. A straight path doesn't in any way mean an easy life. It'd be nice if it did, but it doesn't mean it's an easy life. But what it means is that the straight path leads us directly to him. You know, many of you guys know that, that my wife and I, when we found out we couldn't have kids of our own, we adopted our son Evan. And we adopted him through the foster system. That was the path that, that God led us down for adoption. Now, no matter how you do adoption, whether it's international or you do private adoption here or, or you do foster care, which is what we did, each one of those types of adoption has some, some unique and stressful characteristics. And ours was no different. You know, we got Evan uh, when he was about four weeks old. And after just a couple months of having him in our home, we could sort of see the writing on the wall was that it looked like this was going to move away from foster care and toward adoption, which was totally fine with us because we'd completely fallen in love with the little guy. And so, so as that process began moving, things were kind of going in our favor over and over, like things were moving along relatively well. And now we're a year in, we've had Evan for a year, he's almost a year old, and, and so we're completely attached, and, and it's, it's, it's the adoption process is moving on, and we were actually leaving one morning, we were walking out of the house to go sign our final paperwork with the social worker before our court date in two weeks, and that court date was to make the adoption final, and as we're walking out of the house, the social worker called us and said, I'm going to have to cancel this meeting. We're like, wait, what's going on? He said, well, we found some information in the file that we've never seen before that is possibly identifying a next of kin that that doesn't know about the child. And so what we need to do now is we need to put the brakes on and we need to call this person. And if this person is, it wants the child, because they're next of kin, we'll immediately place him with them. 
So like my wife and I freaked out. I don't know if you can imagine, but we freaked out. Like we were devastated to that news. And so I immediately went into fix-it mode because I'm a fixer. That's what I do. I'm going to fix this problem. So my version of fixing our problem was that I began to research which countries do not extradite to the United States. Because I was going to leave with my wife and my child, and we were going to a country that it didn't matter if they found us, that country would never make us leave. That was my solution. I told my neighbor, and my neighbor was like, hey, I'll take care of your dog, man. Go for it. You know, like I was serious. This was like, now thankfully, that plan, that path that I had laid out for myself didn't last too long. You know, after a bit of a rage fest and, and, uh, and quite a few tears, mostly from fear, um, the plan began to change. Katie and I began to pray, and we began to ask God, what do we do? We started praying and asking him to help us trust in him, no matter what's going on. Trust in his path, no matter what we saw in our way. We, we started sending emails to friends of ours all over the country and just saying, would you guys please pray for us? Would you pray for the situation that whatever it is that God wants, that Katie and I would be okay with that, and that this little kid that we love so much would be completely okay too? Now, it was, it was this point, which is still the single greatest point of transformation in my faith life. It's because I realized at that moment that no matter what path, no matter what path I had planned for me, no matter what path I had planned for my family, that what I wanted more was to be on God's path. And I didn't know what the outcome would be, but I, I wanted the path that God had laid out for me. You know, the obstacles at that time that were in my path, they seemed completely immovable. But to God, they were nothing. Now, long story short is that, that my son is Evan, and he's back in Coastal Kids right now. So things all worked out for us. But see, God has, God has many ways of directing us. God can, God can direct us by placing obstacles in our path that force us to a new way. Like the story I just told, God, God can direct us by removing obstacles from our path and making a way. God, God directs by delaying sometimes, making us wait on him. Sometimes he directs with, with an immediateness that sort of flings us out into something new that we don't think we're prepared for so that we have to rely 100% on him. Sometimes he can direct with opposition. You know, the Bible tells us that, that he, he hindered. It says the Spirit hindered Paul. He can direct by encouragement. God whispers into our hearts that you can when the world's yelling and screaming at you that you can't. You know, he directs sometimes by disappointing the dreams we've laid out for ourselves, And other times he directs by realizing our dreams. You know, I share some of these as contradictions because it's so important that we understand that, that the direction that our lives may take may not look anything like what we think they should be. They may not look like anything, anything remotely close to the path that we have laid out for ourselves. But let me tell you guys something. If God is directing our path, then no enemy can prevent the realization of his purpose. There's, there's no obstacle. There is no obstacle that can hinder us if he leads. There's no opposition that he can't overcome. There is no crisis that can ever overwhelm the wisdom of God. 
no event that will ever happen in your life will surprise him. That doesn't mean that your path will, will always be easy, but it means it'll always be right. It may not be the path that, that you would have chosen. I've certainly had plenty of places where, where my path has taken some turn, twists and turns that I, I never would have chosen myself. But his path will always, always lead to his good and perfect plan for your life. Would you guys pray with me? God, we just, we come before you because, man, just in a couple verses of Proverbs, it's tough stuff to think about what it means to, to trust you fully, to not hold anything back, to not trust in ourselves the way that, that we're so kind of wired to do, to think we can figure it out and we think we can fix everything. Lord, to pursue you with total obedience. These are, these are tough things and it's, it's things that we, we all need to work on. We can't just snap our fingers and say, yeah, I got to figure it out. But we know, God, that, that if we can do these things, if we can live wisely, that you promise direction for us. You promise to make our path straight. And I just know that there's, there's people here today in this room. There's some, of, there's some of you that have been following after Christ for many years. But you, you can honestly say, man, I, I've been following after Christ, but there's, there's a few little items on that buffet that I keep pulling off of. I, keep, I, I trust God mostly, but, but I keep holding some trust back. I'm afraid to give it all to him. And, and right now, I want to ask if, if there's anybody here in this room, you've been following Christ for a while now, but you, you haven't been able to do that small little three-letter word, all, and you're still kind of on this buffet line, would you raise your hand and just acknowledge, that's me today. Yeah, thank you. Lots of you guys. It's so normal for us. Lord, I just want to ask that for, for those who raised their hand and said, man, I, I'm, I'm striving to follow after you. I love you, Jesus, but I know I keep holding back. I keep trying to put small parts of trust in other things instead of being completely and totally committed to you. God, I pray that you would just help all of them and all of us to surrender to you daily, that all of our trust would be in you. You know, this morning, there's, there's somebody else in this room that you haven't been following after Christ for a long time. It's not been many years, and maybe you're here and you keep holding on. You, you've never really gotten out of the buffet line of spirituality. You're constantly searching for things in different places that you can put your faith and hope and trust in. We sang a song this morning that, that, that said that he never fails, that his, his promises are unshaken. His word is unfailing. And this morning, there's some of you that need to say, I'm not doing the buffet anymore. And if that's you, I want you to raise your hand. You can just silently write your raise your hand. Yeah, thank you, ma'am. And I want you, those of you who just raised your hand, you can do this right where you sit. I want you to pray this with me. If you're ready to, to stop living your spiritual life on the buffet and trusting in a bunch of things, and you're ready to trust in God, pray this with me. God, I'm done trying to find direction from anywhere other than you. I'm done seeking out other things I can put my trust in. I'm gonna surrender to you today because I know that you love me so much. You have a path that is so perfect for my life that when sin came and got in the way of your plan for me, you sent your one and only son to live a perfect life on this earth and to die on the cross for my sins so that so that, that perfect path that you have for me, that I can walk right down that and walk to you. And I thank you, God, for what you have done for me. And this morning, I'm placing all of my hope and all of my trust in you. 
pray this in Jesus' name.